Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, welcome along. It's another episode of Writer's Routine. This is the podcast where we take a look at an author's working day. We have a sift through the nuances and the details of when they start, when they stop, what pen they use to plot, what program they use to get down their ideas, and we hope that some of the tips from their life can help arrange the creativity in arts. Now, today it's the turn of the crime writer Sarah Ward. She has published three books in her DC Child series, all set around the Peak District in Derbyshire, where she lives. Write what you know and all that. We talk about the very specific, regimented way that she tells her stories, uh, which actually she finds pretty liberating. Also, you can find out the precise moment in her own life that spawned the idea that would become her debut novel. And we talk about what she needs in a tale to captivate her to finally write the story. I'm not interested in sort of serial killers standing on the on, on the pavement or accidental c- killers or somebody who makes a snap decision to kill. I'm more interested in people who their anger simmers for, for years. So a lot of my stories have crimes in the past or crimes, even if it's not that long ago, that have been sort of, you know, simmering for a long time. So stay there. It's all on the way on this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, hello, welcome along. How are you doing? It is writer's routine. Now, if you're in the UK, where I am also, I hope you found time this week to, to take a second outside on your own to read in the just glistening sun that we finally got. It's actually one of my favourite moments of the whole year. It really keeps me going through the dark, cold, lonely nights over winter. You know, the first moment that you manage to get outside, uh, you could be sat on a blanket, perched under a tree perhaps, and you, you open your book under the blazing sun and start reading. I mean, I could probably do without the hay fever that I've got taken over my life right now. You know, it makes it quite difficult to actually do the reading through my streaming allergic eyes. Anyway, I hope you found the time to read outside. You made a second for yourself and you've been less affected by the pollen than me. Very quickly, before we get on with it, uh, because it's a good, detailed, niche chat with Sarah Ward today, uh, I want to take a second to just remind you of all the ways that you can help out what we do on the show if you like listening to the podcast every week and if you're a subscriber. Just take a second and head over to BritishPodcastAwards.com and you can marvel at the fact that we've been nominated for Best Culture Podcast. I know, for the whole of the UK. Apparently we're one of the, the greatest gatekeepers of culture for this country in podcast form. Now, we're up against 
a fantastic uh, bunch of shows in the category, so I'm not really expecting to win. And the thing is, you can't even help us to do that either. It's been voted for by some industry professionals, so they say. What you can do, though, is you can go over to the Listener's Choice category on the website, and you can vote on there for any podcast made in the UK that you love. And if you think that we're one of the best, if you would like that vote to go for us, please do so. It's over at BritishPodcastAwards.com. And also, here's another thing that you can quickly do. Remember, I'm always looking for stories of the way that this show has helped you get along with your own stories. Maybe you started a book ages ago, but you just couldn't quite figure out the details in your mind. You got a bit bored. You put the pen down and you forgot to pick it up. But then perhaps you heard some inspirational advice and tips and tricks from authors on this show and it got you started again. We've already had a few brilliant stories like that sent through because I really do want to hear them. It makes everything we do so far worthwhile if it's helping you out with your work right now. The best way to do it is to leave this show a review on the iTunes podcast store and just jot down the details in the comment section, really. Uh, Leave us five stars as well. That would be amazing. So, yeah, do it now if you fancy. I'd really appreciate it. Just get to the iTunes podcast store, find Writer's Routine and leave us a review. Right. Sarah Ward's on the show then. She's published three novels in her DC Child series, and they're all about long, mulled-over crimes, revenge and plans that have been brooding away and percolating in the mind of the dastardly murderer uh, over the years. So we talk about why she prefers to tell those types of stories in this show that's on the way. Also, you can find out how one incident that happened on her way to school when she was much younger, it gave her the very first idea she had for her debut novel, Now, Sarah is a judge as well uh, for the Patrona Award for Scandi Crime Fiction. And when we met, she'd just come from a long day of book judging discussions. So that may well seep into the chat. Uh, You can also hear the time of day that she feels most productive before the storm of her life has really started. And we start, as always, with what she sees when she sits around her to write. So I live in a really beautiful area in the Peak District. I live in the middle of nowhere. If I go 180 degrees, I see beautiful hills out of my window. But unfortunately, I can't write looking out of my window, otherwise I'd never put anything onto paper. So I write with my back to the window, and all I've got is a blank wall. Um, It's painted yet, a sort of of mustard colour. And I occasionally put little quotes up there, you know, just to keep me going. But generally, it's just a blank wall with this beautiful scenery behind me. Can you remember any of the quotes, the more recent ones? that you've put on the wall? Uh, I should have... Should have um, it's things like sometimes um, not knowing where you're going will turn out, you know, the best, that sort of thing. You know, it was sort of really helpful write, writing type things because I usually don't know where I'm going. Uh, where are we in the house? Where is the writing so room? So it's, it's, it's in a spare bedroom upstairs. I, I've got a dream of having a writer's hut in my garden, but because I live in the Peak Park, you're not even allowed to put up like a shed without planning permission. So that's not going to happen. So it's uh, it's a spare bedroom. So talk me through your working day then. The show is called Writer's Routine. Mm -hmm. From the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day where you are sitting down to write. Okay, so I'm definitely a morning person. Um, My husband is an evening person, so he's normally still in bed and I get up about seven in the morning and I normally um, start work straight away. I have to get my cup of tea or cup of coffee and I sit down at my desk and I start working and I start writing straight away. I don't faff around with emails or or anything admin-y. I start sort of usually writing and hopefully if it's an ideal working day, I can remember what I've written the day before 
before or a few days before. Um, if I'd have had a bit of a break, so for example, if I'm in London today, so I won't have done any writing today. So tomorrow when I sit down to write, I might not remember what I did yesterday. So, so occasionally I have to just read back a little bit. Um, but an ideal day was I just start writing. Um, and that would be my first thing. And I'm still in my pyjamas. And occasionally my postman will knock and he'll, you know, he thinks I live in my pyjamas. But that's to me, get, get me going. And then I will have a break to have a shower and get dressed and sort of join the land of the living. But that makes me, you know, that, that really gets me going in terms of I'm focusing on the day then. Um, so that's my sort of morning routine is to have a shower halfway through and then carry on. Um, and then I get a bit hungry. And by the time I eaten something I'm really tired I mean sort of you know sort of a sugar rush or whatever and then uh, in the afternoon I'm a bit sort of tired so I tend to do my admin um, and then in the evening I often get a bit of a second wind because I'm not so tired from eating um, and then I start 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 again yeah so that would be a writing day but that, they're really rare where I have nothing else to do okay so w- w- let's talk about the non-rare ones then mm. perhaps when you've got other things to do uh, y- you're involved a lot uh, across writing and words and you judge awards Mm. talk to me about how you're managing to fit in uh, some hours of writing when you've got other things to do that day so what I tend to do is I don't take my manuscript around with me because it works best when it's sort of I'm static and I'm looking at it on my laptop I have a a sort of a stand for my laptop so I'm not hunched over so that tends to be where my my words go onto the screen but I have a a sort of an iPad thing with a keyboard Um, and what I'll tend to do is I will write a particular scene that's I know where it will slot into the book, but I'll just write it on a fresh piece of paper and I'll write maybe a chapter or a scene or if I can only get 500 words down. And then I will go back the next day and I will slot it into my manuscript. The thought of opening like a 300-page document on a tiny iPad, it's just... just you know, blow my mind really. So it's much easier to do it in a manageable way, um, and that's what I tend to do when I'm when I'm when I'm on the, on the go. But to be honest, writing is as much about thinking about what's coming next, or thinking what you've done, or tying everything together, as it as it is actually putting the words on the page. So even if, for example, today I do have my iPad with me, but if I just spend time on the train thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow or something that I just can't get my head around or or whatever, that's work for me and I can go back tomorrow and maybe jo- you know, I've jotted a few things down or I've got, I'm not a great writer down um, of things, ideas. It tends to stay in my head. But, you know, that's, va- that's valid work for me, really. So I don't plot really far ahead. Um, I'm definitely a pantster in terms of I, um, I I start with a premise when I start writing my books and I just go with it. Um, so I tend to only write a chapter or two, uh, you know, I can only see where I'm going a chapter or two ahead of me. And then about halfway through a book, I kind of start thinking about the ending. I, I'm sort of thinking, where is this actually going? Because you can't keep doing that forever because at some point you've got to sort of start drawing things to, to a conclusion. And by halfway through, I'm then thinking of chapters quite quite a bit ahead and what I've tended to do in all my books is by about two thirds of the way through I go and write the final chapter because endings are endings are really hard and they're really important so by going to the very end and writing that I know where I'm going and even I don't know how I'm going to get there at least I know the destination really but I, I, there's no way I could do that in chapter two um, and I know lots of writers and I'm sure you've spoken to, the, to them that are able to plot that far ahead I think if I got my book at chapter one and plotted it to chapter 30 or the end or whatever 
it, I'm sure it'd be plotted, but I wouldn't then want to write it. Part of me writing is to see where I'm going, really. By about halfway through the book, I can't keep doing that forever, really. So what does the initial idea usually consist of? Let's go back to your very first <laughs> yeah. um, published novel from the from the DC Child series. Yeah. So this is In Bitter Chill. Yeah. Talk to me about the very first moment that that story came into your head. What did it consist of? So I usually start with a premise and within Embitter Chill, it's two girls, two schoolgirls in the 1970s who get into a car who, driven by a woman. Um, they're on the way to school. And later that day, one of the girls is found alive and the other girl is missing. And she remains missing right up to the present day. And the I, I suppose the idea was what happened to that... Well, the, the, the mystery is what happened to that girl and, you know... How, how can we solve it in the present day, considering it happened 40 years earlier? That was based on something that nearly happened to me, as in I was walking to school one day and somebody tried to get me in, my, in the car and it was a woman. It, it was in the early 80s rather than the 70s. So, so that was something I was trying to work through in my book. But that's... That's all I knew because I didn't get in the car. I didn't know what, what was going to happen in my book. So I just started with the idea two girls, two schoolgirls get in a car and later that day one of them's found and can't remember what's happened to her and what did happen to her. And it, it, it's literally starting with that. And then you bring in all the other things you want to write about. So I was really interested in family history at the time and I am still interested in genealogy. That Also secrets within families where, you know, one person knows something and doesn't tell anybody else in the family. And so I knew I wanted to bring in something to do with the family and something to do with uh, family history. And so it was weaving that into the plot. And all my subsequent books have always started with a central sort of idea of this is what's happened and why did that happen so you've got your your initial idea mm. what happens if two girls get into a car mm. a day later one girl returns alive yeah how are you then expanding on that so when we come to read a novel mm. we're not just looking at story we're looking at language we're looking at themes mm. how are you building on all of this and you're working it into that one initial elevator pitch almost so um my, I really love police procedurals, but I also love the idea of a book being a standalone in as much that um, everything, not everything's resolved at the end, but you get a sense of conclusion at the end. So certainly when I, I didn't necessarily know this when I was writing my first book, but I have a, quite a strong structure now in as, the, in as much that when um, I have my initial premise, there's two strands to the story. There's a police investigation into the mystery or the crime or whatever and then the other part of the story is told by a non-police person who's in some way connected to the crime so I have a police chapter and then a um, non-police per, per uh, my main protagonist then another uh, police chapter and, and that's how it works in all the books so I always know that whenever I've thought of the premise that that's the structure it's going to to be so I have my series characters which are brilliant because I have two main police characters DC Connie Charles and DI Francis Sadler and I know you know their characters have developed and I know how they're going to sort of react to the crime and how the, the way they might investigate it but then when I've thought of thought of the crime or thought of the premise I also then need to think of my main character who's going to tell the non-police story of that of that investigation 
and they've got to be in some way connected to the crime because they're going to need to care about the way the investigation's going. So in Embitter Chill, the non-police person is Rachel, who was the girl who was kidnapped in the 1970s and later found alive. She grows up, and when the police investigation reopens into the crime, she's like, well, I'm not going to just stand by and find out, you know, and see what they come up with. I'm going to do my own, own investigation to the crime. So that's the, that's the first book. In A Deadly Thought... I have um, a woman who kills her husband um, and lies about his identity for reasons that aren't clear. Um, And, of course, you've got the police investigation again. But then I have the sister-in-law of the uh, person who was killed um, called Kat, K-A-T, is the person who then tries to work out why her own sister deceived everybody about the identity of the the person she killed. And, and, And so... Once I start, I then need to think about who, who are the characters that, I, that are going to work, work around it in terms of the main character. Um, and then you get lots of subsidiary because you think, are they married? Do they have children? What's their status? What's their job? Um, which all sort of revolve around the story. So my book that's coming out in the autumn called um, The Shrouded Path, I've gone right back much further than I normally go in the 1950s. So in Derbyshire, in the Peak District where I live, we've got lots of old railway lines that have been turned into cycle tracks, walking tracks. And I was cycling along there one day and I thought, this is a really great place for a murder because we've got the old tunnels and so on. So in the 1950s, when it's still a railway, we I have six um, teenagers who walk into a tunnel uh, one day and then only five come out. And there's an act of violence that's taken place inside that tunnel. And it has an impact on something that starts happening in in Derbyshire in the present day. So that's all I had when I started in terms of the six girls walk into a tunnel, five come out, what happened? But of course, you're then thinking, well, that, that those girls are going to have grown up. So what? So they're going to be slightly older um, people. So I thought, well, my main char- character can be one of their daughters. Um, and so Mina, who is the daughter of one of those girls who was involved in the, uh, in, in the whatever happened in the tunnel, is the person telling the story. Meanwhile, the police are invo- investigating because a couple of the women who were involved in the incident start dying in their as their older as older characters you, you speak about the process in, in quite thorough detail mm. so you're describing when you're talking about your characters right now i need to figure out if they're married if they've got mm. children what their backstory mm. is is this all a conscious decision that's going through your mind is almost a flow chart of right now i need to think of this 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 is the process that structured or is it more free form how are you getting to know your characters along the way I think it's mainly through writing. Um, I'm, I'm not somebody to sort of cut things out or, you know, cut things out of magazines or so. I, I do think about it a lot in my head. I'm really keen that my main, my main characters, uh, that my non-police, aren't the same as previous books. So I try and think of what I've written before. I don't want my characters to particularly merge into each other. And also, because I've got a, wim- a woman DC who is in her early 30s um, and I've got a, a, a DI who's in his 40s. I'm trying to think of another character to sort of compliment them but also to be, to stand out all i have initially is names are really important to me so i usually try and name my character straight away because that gives me an i don't know it just seems to anchor the character um i don't think i don't worry too much what they look like um i don't think it matters 
physically what they look like. Um, that can come as, as I'm writing, um, but it's more how they react to things, what kind of, you know, if you're going to get involved in investigation, you're going to have to have a certain type of personality. You know, you need to care, um, but you also need to be sort of quite determined and so on. But the trouble is you don't want all your all your main characters to be like that. So there has to be sometimes something else. So in, in The Shrouded Path that's, um, that, I've, that I've just finished writing, it's because it's a mother involved. So because it's her mother involved in that, that incident in the tunnel she cares because a mother is, is under threat from somebody who might be killing uh, these women from you know due to an act in the 1950s they don't necessarily have to be you know sort of go getting and you know gung-ho and going into the battle it could be somebody up against the wall who's feeling threatened or feeling their families threatened and so it, it, it's almost like the incident starts to create a personality for your characters now stay there we'll get more with the crime author sarah ward in just a sec ready to pop the question the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now, we've got no writing tip that may change the way you work forever today for a multitude of reasons that I really won't bore you with. But how about this? It's an idea. It's a pretty out there idea. But if you get on board, it could really work. We could be onto something in our writer's routine community. What if you've got one? What if you've got, right now, a writing tip that you want to share? Maybe it's something that you do whenever you sit down to write. A little idiosyncrasy, perhaps, that you think is so specific to you, but maybe you reckon it might help a few other people out there that are struggling. I don't know, maybe you were finding it difficult for ages to get motivated or to firmly plot or to authentically establish a character, but then you just came up with one little thing, you tweaked something, and it's massively helped the way you work and your stories have benefited hugely because of it. Well, if that's true, then I want to hear your tip. Because maybe if it's good enough, I, it can help other people out there. 
And don't be put off by the technology because you can tell me your writing tip that may change the way people work forever. And it's dead simple. There's so many ways that you can send it to me. Probably the simplest way is to get out your phone right now uh, and record your tip as a voice note in there. And then you send it in an email over to me at writersroutine at gmail.com and I will do the rest. I mean, I'm not expecting a whole bunch just yet. It's the first week we've even tried to do it. So if you've got a tip and if it's good and if you think it may change the way people work forever, it will probably get on. You can record it for me on your phone and then email it over. I promise I'll sort it out for you. It's writersroutine at gmail.com. Right, very quickly before we get back into the chat with crime writer Sarah Ward, let me remind you of all the ways that you can keep in touch with the show. We're on Twitter. You can follow us at WritersPod on there for loads of updates, loads of advice, videos and quick replies and retweet. That is at WritersPod. Also, we're on Instagram and we do glossy filtered quotes and short preview clips and behind the scenes videos. Uh, It is Writers Routine on there, the obvious one. And you can always get in touch with us. You can find all of our old episodes and you can discover all the different ways you can listen to the show uh, on the website, which is writersroutine.com. Let's get back to it then. The main bulk of the show part two of this week's chat with Sarah Ward. She is the author of the three books in the DC Child series and she's just started working on another novel as well which she thinks may be the start of a brand new series of stories. Uh, You can hear more about the thought process of standalone versus series novels in just a sec. Uh, Also in this second part we talk about how she gets to know her characters and why telling the victims side of the story is always the one that really appeals to her. And we talk about tone, about finding the writer's voice, and about how she needed to be in her own bubble. I think it was because I was such a new writer. You know, I hadn't written anything before. I wasn't someone who'd done a lot of short stories or had, you know, tried to write any... uh, many of the books I think it was more I needed quite a strong structure to tell the story and I did want to have a series so I was quite keen to have series characters so that was one I could have just had a police series but I I really love the idea of because my books are set in a small community in the Peak District if something happens that to a small community, the people around it are going to be really affected. And I don't think the police are necessarily the best people to tell that story because they're professionals, they, they, they're they used to, t- to crimes. I wanted somebody anchored in that community to tell the story. So I thought of my character of Rachel and then it's like, how do you do it? Do you just have like, you know, part one, the police, part two, Rachel? That would, that you could have done that way. It just seems slightly easier to have two parallel sort of um, ways of looking at the crime and to alternate uh, it in the chapters. And then, because when you write a series, you want readers to be able to recognise it as a series. I've used that um, for all my subsequent books, but I don't make it a rigid structure. I'm, I'm quite happy if the police chapter and then I need to go on to the next chapter, then I do it. So it could be two chapter police and then one uh, chapter, the main character, and I, and it carries on like that. I don't think you can be too rigid because then, then the, it's dictating the plot. Well, I was, I, was, I was going to ask this. So three books down the line, how restrictive do you find that way of telling a story now? I find it quite liberating. Um, the book I'm writing at the moment isn't part of that series, so I'm writing a, a, a different book, possibly the start of a new series. And 
what's quite interesting is that I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that structure. I'm actually having a main character who's telling the story and then I have one other character who occasionally tells tells the story, but it's just sort of interspersed in a slightly more random way. And that's been quite liberating at doing it that way. Um, but I quite like the structure, um, the sort of very rigid, the, the more rigid structure of my of my Derbyshire series, because it kind of it makes you think in a particular way, and you sort of think, right, I've, I've finished that chapter. I'm now going to see how my other characters are coming in. I, I would quite like to one day write a novel from just one point of view, um, and I nearly did it with the book I'm writing at the moment, but because of the way the story um, that progresses, she leaves um, part of her life behind. I needed to show what that life behind felt like, um, and you can't do that if someone's checked out of it. So I did need to bring in another point of view, but. Um, it's just trying to keep the interest going in terms of writing because I think if I did that rigid structure all the way through you know, my writing career, I think it might get a bit stale. So it is good to, to, to change things occasionally. Now, the wording of this question may sound quite critical. I don't mean it to okay. at all. Crime and police dramas, mm. it, it, thrillers in fiction, aren't usually notably commended for their use of language mm. if you know what i mean it's it's when you think of authors who who use their language to affect you we're looking at you know more comedic writers maybe pg woodhouse oscar wilde mm. whereas that doesn't always happen in, in crime writing how much are you thinking about what specific word is coming next that's, uh, i think that's really interesting because there's so the, most crime write crime quite a lot of crime novels that I read are really well written so I can't you know I can't speak on behalf of other writers but I certainly think that write other crime writers are thinking about the words that they're writing down so I'd probably disagree with what you're saying anyway in terms of you know people don't think about the words that are coming next um because I don't plot that far ahead, my first draft is getting the story down. So I can't think too much about the words that are coming next because, you know, otherwise I'd take you know, five years to write a crime novel. So my first draft is very much putting the story down. But nevertheless, I do try and write as well as I can because otherwise you feel you've got a really rubbish first draft. So I do try and make my first drafts decent. But you know, I don't worry too much. But the editing, I do think about the words a lot because I, I think the best crime novels around are the ones that are deceptively easy to read, if that makes sense. Um, I don't, you know, it, it, it's using a simplicity of language that tells the story and is appropriate to the setting, really, and or the context of the crime. So um, I do I do try and think about the words I'm using. Now, I... I, I Setting's really important in my book, so I do try and describe the world around me. And, you know, I, I like nature, I like the countryside, and I do occasionally think, am I using words that, that are, you know, specific to, you know, me? So, for example, a lot of the trees around me are pollarded and stuff, and I think, well, is anybody necessarily going to know that sort of nature, um, nature word? So I do think about it, but at the same time, it is part of me, so I do use it naturally. And then there's other people who read my books and can say whether or not you know that's necessarily um, you know a good a, a good thing or whatever. But I, I think about the words, and I think other writers probably do as well. You talk about some crime novels being brilliantly easy to read. Mm. Which is certainly a skill mm-hmm. in, in, in being able to grip your reader and make them want to turn over the page. Yeah. How do you think that's done? 
if, if you were going to try and outline rules of how you make a book simply easy to read, make yeah. you want to pick it up and, ki- and carry on reading to never put it down, yeah. what do you need to do as a writer? Gosh, um, I think it's getting tones for me tones really really important so it's how I'm telling the story and so it's not too wordy you don't want to trip up on sentences or up on words in terms of when a reader's reading your 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 chapter or whatever you don't want to sort of stumble over words so it's thinking about the structure of the sentences but also about the sort of the the vocabulary you use and so on I guess I mean it's really hard because I can't speak on behalf of other writers but I'm sure some hard you know hard work goes into making words like you know like using the word before rather than prior and stuff like that. I mean, I know, you know, people can disagree with it, but, I, you know, a simplicity is often really lovely to read on the page. In my first book, I was living in Greece when I wrote it in Bitter Chill. Um, so I was living in the Mediterranean heat and um, I sort of, I was very much in a bubble, really. So that was really useful f- for me in as much that I didn't do a writing course. I, you know, didn't really know any other writers. Um, I was just sort of sitting in this room air-conditioned room and I just decided to write what I wanted Um, and for me the tone that I wanted to get was grief um, because these two girls have been kidnapped in the 70s and the community is still grieving for the missing girl and so it was kind of I wanted a slightly wistful, grieving feel to the story. Um, My second book was, was a bit more Robust because a part of the um, story is to do with um, sex crimes in the community. So when there's been sort of various sexual offences, but they've not been investigated properly, and so I think I think I didn't want it to be grieving so much. Then I wanted it, things to be a bit more sort of robust, really, because it made me angry. And so the tone was very slightly different. Now I know that's different from voice. You know, it's, it's just trying to sort of get the right tone for me when I'm writing. And then the voice, uh, the voice came quite naturally. And I think it was because I was I was working in a in a bubble. What does a Sarah Ward story need to be? So um, I'm really interested in crimes that have a long genesis, a long history. Um, I'm not interested in sort of serial killers standing on the on, on the pavement or um, or accidental killers or somebody who makes a snap decision to kill. I'm more interested in people who their anger simmers for, for years. So a lot of my stories have crimes in the past or crimes even if it's not that long ago that have been sort of you know simmering for a long time a lot of my I'm also interested in secrets there can be secrets within the family there can be secrets within a street there can be a a secret in a town that nobody really talks about Um, open secrets where everybody knows and nobody talks about it or closed secrets where one person knows and thinks by not telling anybody Um, so secrets play really important but the and and setting is really important so whether it's it's a book I'm writing about Derbyshire or elsewhere which is my current book setting is is important because it's important to me Um, you know I'm not going to walk through the countryside or through a wood and not see what's around me Um, you know my aunt used to live on a farm and she used to walk through a field and her father would say you know did you see the cows and she couldn't remember because she never looked at the cows you know whereas that's not going to be me it's something I you know I'm interested in the environment around me so setting would be important as well. You said for your first story in Bitter Chill, it's, it was based on an experience you had when you were young. Mm. What was that like, mining it? Well, you're, you're, not, you're not creating something that's completely fresh. It's still a, a, not the best experience, I'd mm. imagine, to try and mm. recall, especially mm. 
quite a long time later. Mm. How were you mining that? Well, it was it was mainly thinking about my reactions and and for example, so when somebody tried to get me in a car when I was a child, I didn't like go home and say, "Oh, mum, you know, someone's just trying to get in my car." I didn't go to school because I was on my way to school and say to my teachers, I didn't say anything. I never told anybody. It just sort of simmered away in my mind, and it was quite interesting because I thought that's how victims become victims because you even though I didn't get in the car because you there's a sense of shame because I always thought why did she pick on me you know there were loads of us walking to school in a school uniform why did they pick on me and it's that idea that you feel slightly ashamed that you have been chosen Um, and so that was really interesting for me to mine and even though I've not used it you know my own personal experience in future books it's this whole idea of how do you react to something Um, and I do even though subsequent books haven't been about me so my third book A Patient Fury is it starts with a fire a big fire in a community in a house and it's um, the police believe that the mother killed her family in the house then set fire to the house and then killed herself and it was based partly on the house fire in Derby where the six children died they were killed by the parents Um, and the story is nothing to do with that, but it was just that instance of something really terrible happening quite close by and sort of thinking how that might feel to everybody around them. So it wasn't a personal experience, but it was personal as much that I was affected by it. So with subsequent books, even though, you know, you can't mind your personal experience from book after book because we were not that interesting, but nevertheless, you mark, you sort of think about what's important Um important to you so the the, the shrouded path that i mentioned about the, 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 the teenagers going into the tunnel it's nothing like that's happened to me but i have been in close group friendships that have sort of oh you know whether five or six girls or whatever and things have started to get a bit nasty and i think that would probably um sort of a lot of people or girls would identify with that the sort of teenage friendship where it gets quite sort of close and you know sort of secrets and you know you've got to be part of the gang um and so again that's me working through something that happened to me as a teenager but in a completely different way I mean that's the great thing about being a fiction writer you mine your own experiences or your preoccupations um, and you try and make it universal Um, you know you try and make it something that everyone will identify with that is it then massive thank you to the crime writer Sarah Ward for coming on the show if our chat inspired you at all to read any of her books maybe you want to find out what happens to the girl who was taken all those years ago uh, well you can find links to her work over at writersroutine.com now before we go if you enjoyed the podcast perhaps there's a few things that you could do right now to pay it back to me If you've got a writing tip that's really helped you, uh, maybe that's one that's made your working day a lot easier, it's really helped to sort out your creativity and to refine the way you tell your stories. Well, I'd really love to hear it and I'd love to pass it on to other people who maybe would find it useful. And you can help me do that. Just record your tip on your phone as a voice memo and then send it over to me at writersroutine at gmail.com and I will do the rest, I promise. You can follow us as well on Twitter and Instagram. You can vote for us in the Listener's Choice category in the British Podcast Awards on their website. That is britishpodcastawards.com. And while you're on there, perhaps join me in staring aghast at the nominations for the Best Culture Show and just wander perplexed, wide-mouthed, how we ever managed to get in there with all those fantastic shows. Oh, and please, if you do subscribe to the show and you're a regular listener, 
I'd love you to leave Writer's Routine a review on the iTunes podcast store. Go ahead, do it now. It will take no more than 30 seconds of your time, I promise. And I'll be watching thoroughly over the next week. Perhaps I'll say hello to you on the next show. I'll see you then, though, for another Writer's Routine. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.